Um, I'm Pastor Mark. I'm um, preaching today. Uh, I'm going to pray before I do that uh, just one more time. Um, God, I thank you uh, for this people that you've called me to belong to uh, and for your kingdom. God, uh, we're gathered here uh, to worship you, and we need a word from you. Um, And as often I feel uh, ill-prepared for such a task, and so I just pray that you would would fill this place and uh, fill our ears with your words and with your thoughts, even if I get it wrong. Amen. Uh, We just wrapped up um, kind of a beautiful series, I thought, on um, kind of the values of our church, the emerging things that we feel like God's calling us to, uh, and the central themes of that was belonging and becoming. We know that we belong to God, we belong among God's people, that we belong here at West Hills. If you're here, you belong here. Uh, And there's all kinds of threats that make us feel like maybe we don't belong here. Uh, Maybe we don't belong among God's people. uh, But specifically, as we get closer to God's people, maybe we don't belong to these of God's people, right? Right? There's all kinds of threats to that. And and as uh, we have kind of a couple um, open spots before we get into Lent and the season of Lent, and we'll be going through First John. We had a couple open spots, uh, so I was praying, what is it that God would have us think about, and, and where's God leading, and the Spirit leading for this week? Um, and the theme of our identity and our belonging uh, keeps coming to mind, and particularly uh, in 2020 in America, in Portland, at West Hills Covenant Church, uh, I think that, that we are, uh, as a people who, who want to belong to God, uh, we're under attack of particular uh, idolatries. Idolatry is like the worship of idols. So, so in the, the old, uh, old Testament times, things were very clear where you identified with. Uh, you identified with what you worshipped, and what you worshipped you had in your, with you, right? You made it, you had it with you. Um, particularly, I think, uh, in our time and in our place, there is this great temptation and this great pressure that's no less real than it was to align with the Roman Empire or the Babylonian Empire or Baal or Asherah. There's a great temptation to find our central identity in our political identities. Does that make sense? Has anyone else seen that? Uh, I've been um, working my way through a book from Ezra Klein uh, called Why We're Polarized, right? And this isn't a a scriptural book. It's, in fact, a little depressing um, because it's devoid of of the hope of Christ, right? Uh, And as I get into it, there's all this social science that says that's really clear that we are wired to belong. We are wired to belong, and one of the shortcuts to belonging is to make sure we know what we're against and who we're against. 
Um, I don't think I have to explain all the social science. Uh, one example is that, um, that when people are clumped into two teams, like if they took, the researchers take this random group of people and say, okay, you're on this team and you're on this team, and they play a game where they can either, by cooperating, they can both get more, uh, more money, like they're actually given real money. So you can get more money on your team if, you co if you're cooperating, uh, and you get less, uh, you, can get, you can get less for yourself, but also guarantee that you get more than the other person if you don't cooperate. And over and over again, people would rather win than get more. We would rather define ourselves as better than somebody else rather than have more abundance. That's, that's part of a kind of what it means to be human in some ways. Our identity uh, is based on what we're, what we're against. And in our society at this time, um, there's this great political sorting going on. Um, you may have heard of it, but, uh, but in the past, you may be surprised to remember, some of you remember, that there used to be like Republicans that were more liberal than the most um, conservative Democrat, right? So there's overlap in the parties. See, I'm getting some nods from some people who remember, right? Like you could be kind of a conservative Democrat and be more conservative than some liberal Republican, right? So, but as time has gone on, just the nature of our dynamics of our political system, it may not even be the worst thing that's ever happened, we'll, we'll, you know. But, but there's this sorting where that's no longer the case. There's no longer any Republican who's more liberal uh, than the most conservative Democrat, and vice versa. Does that make sense? Are we seeing that? Are we feeling that? And it's not just in politics or in our represent, representatives, but those, that kind of sorting um, that's around political ideology, but really political identity, uh, is going on in where we live. It goes, it's going on more and more in where we live, whether we live in cities or in suburbs or in rural areas. It's going on more and more in our hobbies, uh, in the shows we watch, and particularly in, in today's media culture, uh, if, if we have kind of different political identities, we may, may never be consuming anywhere near the same stories in media, right? We're just not, we just don't have that shared experience like we maybe did when there were like three television networks. So we're sorting. And, we're sort, and the, the great pressures of our world and our, the pressures of our world at this time, uh, it's a multi-billion dollar in, industry to sort us based on political identity. We're getting message after message that call us into strict adherence to our political identity, right? message after message, and it's not even so much that they call us into strict adherence to our own political identity, but against the threatening political identity, right? Because they do better to make us afraid of, of the other uh, than they would even to build up the values of our own political identity. That's not the end of the message, though. But... But the, so the question is, 
the question, uh, and, I, and I see that reality, and I, and I see it, um, that there's a spiritual reality, and that there's spiritual forces going on around that reality that sometimes we're not aware of. There's, there's sometimes uh, where it just becomes clear in my spirit even, what is, what am I latching on to? What are the things I can't pry myself away from? What's getting me worked up in a way that isn't producing good fruit, that isn't producing growth or shalom or the kingdom? It's just producing angst and turmoil. Uh, it's just setting me against the people that I'm called to love, right? And, and those are de- demonic forces. It's demonic forces. That, that set us against the people that we're called to love. And how is this kind of pressure on these identities, how is this going to play out in God's church? How is it going to play out in God's church this year in 2020? I think it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. Because our identities are playing against each other. And how is it going to play out in 2020 at West Hills Covenant Church? How is it going to play out in an increasingly uh, racially diverse, diverse in a lot of ways, church in Portland, Oregon, uh, with deep historical roots in uh, evangelical Christianity, American evangelical Christianity, probably white American evangelical Christianity is where our roots uh, predominantly lie. How is all this going to play out? Let's open up scripture. Let's get to the good part. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 15. And I didn't put them on the screen this time. Um, so I'll, I'll read a little bit and summarize a little bit. But if you want to follow along, go to Acts 15. And there's some um, Bibles in, in the pews. They're not pews. In the chair backs in front of you. And so if you can... Um, can find one, or even if you have to reach over your neighbor, feel free to do that. In Acts 15, uh, there's this story where identities collide. And they're asking the question that I think I'm asking at West Hills, or at, as a Christian in America in 2020, is my Christian identity enough? Is our Christian identity enough to hold us together? Is there enough there? Is it deep enough? Is it strong enough to create our main identity when the the political identities want our attention, want our allegiance so badly? So Acts 15 starts out like this. Certain people came down from Judea. So they come down the mountain of Judea down into the lowland where Antioch is. And Judea is mostly, uh, these are identity markers that you, you may not get. It's, it's like if you said they went, I don't know, from Washington, D.C. To, to Silicon Valley, right? Maybe. You know, like two very different characteristic hubs. And we get images of what that looks like. The the image of what it looks like to be in Judea would be to be Jewish, would be to be at the center of Jewish life, 
uh, would be about temple worship uh, and about following God through keeping the law of Moses, right? Uh, that's, that's just the culture. That's what it's like in Judea. And they came down to Antioch. And Antioch is this kind of like global city, a center of trade, where it's still kind of in um, a Jewish area. It's still kind of in Israel, but it is super metropolitan. and kind of It's one of those cities that looks more like the Roman Empire, um, and anything goes. There's this huge mix of ideas and identity, uh, and so it's, so it's a much different place. So, they come, so there's these people, believers, that come down from Judea to Antioch, and they're teaching the believers this, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas were these um, really like ultra-conservative Jewish folks, law followers, who then um, changed and said, oh, God wants to bring the good news to the Gentiles. And so they go out, and they're seeing all this amazing work of God among people. A Gentile is just like not a Jew, right? And the Gentiles were generally uncircumcised while the Jews were circumcised. Sorry to get into that kind of detail, but it's just the Bible. Um, (laughs) So Paul and Barnabas were appointed out of Antioch along with some other believers to go back up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. All the believers. So they're headed up to Judea. They're headed up to the center of what the center of Christianity seems to be, which is also the center of Jewish worship. And as they're going, they're saying, look, uh, Gentile people are coming to faith in Jesus, who we know is the Messiah. Isn't this awesome? And everyone's like, yes, this is awesome. This is good. This is a very good thing. They come up to Jerusalem. They're welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, and they reported what God had done through them. So we're, we're alerted to all these identities that are going on in this story. There's the identity of Uh, basically the Gentiles and the Jewish believers uh, were alerted to to Samaria. If you knew much about Samaria and Phoenicia and you were around in that time, all those would bring up a bunch of stereotypes and images. This is what this is like. This is what these people are like. This is what those people are like. This is what they think. This is what they believe. And all of these identities are coming into tension and into some serious open conflict around this question that these guys bring up and say, shouldn't the Gentile believers do what the Bible says and get circumcised, right? Shouldn't they obey God and, and do this thing? There was a sharp disagreement. Uh, but, then they, so, but then when they come, right, um, when they come on their mission, it seems like there's a lot of people that, uh, that want to be happy about Gentile inclusion, and that are kind of, um, what we call them, uh, they, they're smoothers, right? They want to smooth things over. So they come, and everyone's like, yes, we'll receive you. This is great. The Gentiles are included. Uh, let's not get too far into the details of that, right? Uh, but there's always some loud mouths in the room, right? 
there's always some people that aren't willing to kind of settle for uh, a smoothness and a rejoicing. Hey, we're all together, but not really. Hey, we're all together, but we got our differences. So somebody uh, comes up, and it turns out that uh, in this situation, in verse 5, it says, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up. The party of the Pharisees? These are the same Pharisees that Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees, over and over again. I'm surprised to see in the first church, right, we got a party of the Pharisees within the church. Anybody else surprised by that? you got a party of Pharisees in the church. Jesus always said, what are you Pharisees? The Pharisees were always against Jesus, right? But here they are, and they're in the church, and and they they care about whether the Gentiles are going to follow the law of God. I, and then they say, and so it says, they said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. That's what the people in the party of the Pharisees came up. Can you imagine how this played out? I, I spent some time imagining how this played out. Have you ever been in a group that everything seems okay on the surface, but there's some lingering conflict or controversy? No, you've never been in a group like that. There's always some folks who want to just smooth things out. They want to just, okay, let's just stay together. Let's not touch that third rail because if we do, we might not stay together. So let's just stay together. Let's just keep things cool. And then there's a couple loud mouths. And I say that with the utmost respect, right? There's a couple people who want to get straight to the issue, go through the uncomfortable time, and figure it out. These Pharisees are the blessed loudmouths in the group who courageously help the church come to some clarity about something that's really important. I bet as a group, there was a smoother in the group sitting, standing next to a loudmouth as they're hearing about the Gentiles being saved, right? And the Pharisees standing next to a smoother and whispers, yeah, it's, it's great about the Gentiles coming to Jesus, right? And the smoother is like, yeah, it's good. This is so good. The Gentiles are coming to Jesus. The Pharisee, uh, the smoother kind of knows that he's standing next to a Pharisee. So it's like, okay, it's great, but like, let's not get far too far into it. The Pharisee then comes back and says, hey, it's great that they believe in Jesus, but do you think they you know, really believe enough to you know, obey God? Well, yeah, I mean, it seems like they, they obey, they, they know enough to obey God. Let's just kind of, like, leave it alone. No, but do you think they agree enough? Do they believe enough to obey God down there? Do you think they're circumcised? Oh, my gosh. Again? Like, we're not going to ask them if they're circumcised. Let's just go with it, right? This is private. Like, let's just move on. Can you imagine? Does this sound like any conversations that you've had? <laughs> and then the first he's like, no, I'm going to ask. He's like, you better not ask. <laughs> no, I'm going to ask. We need to know. We need to get to this. Don't ask. Right? And then it blurts out, hey, those Gentile believers, are they circumcised? They got to be circumcised, right? That's part of the deal, right? 
So now they got to have the conversation. Now they have to have the conversation. And they do. And there's three main voices in the conversation. First, there's Peter. And Peter appeals to a central identity in Christ and to basic Christian principles. So one thing is that's interesting is they have this conversation with everybody. It seems like there's this whole gathered group in Jerusalem. Like, like yeah, it's not limited. But then there's also a conversation of leaders, right? The apostles and the elders are having a conversation too. So there's two conversations. So they have the big group conversation, and then the leaders come back, and they have a conversation, and then the leaders kind of report that conversation to the group. And, he, and so Peter comes back and addresses the group after this conversation with the leaders and says, brothers and sisters. That's a good way to start. Brother, like, we're family. We are family. Brothers and sisters. You know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles would hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He didn't discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are saved just as they are. So Peter comes in with an appeal to the basics of what it means to be a Christian, to be a Jesus follower. And the basics are that, the, that following the law didn't get us the Messiah, that the Messiah came when we were terrible at following the law. And had grace on us anyway. And so Peter comes back to this basic doctrine. You might say he's using theology, right? He has this theological appeal. And I think that's one of the things that we're going to have to draw on on our Christian identity, right? That we come back to the basics of the gospel and who the gospel is. When our identities seem to collide, when we're like, do I belong with these people? Are these my people? Are these not my people that we come back and we remember the basics of the gospel? And we're not going to be free of some of the political conversations of our day and the way that our identities are played against each other because uh, the gospel of the kingdom isn't limited to something like just inside of me. It's meant to transform the whole world into shalom. And so it's going to bump in to what's going on in our systems and in our world. Uh, We shouldn't be surprised by that. But Peter said, let's get back to the basics of what it means to be a Christian. And the basics would say, hey, our attitude has to be that these people are going to get included, not because of the law, not because of following the law. In order to be united body, we're going to remember, need to remember that we're united as a family, that we're united as brothers and sisters by the truth of the gospel. The next people that come into the scene after Peter's done is Barnabas and Paul bring the truth of their miraculous experience and the church listens. This part's real, real short here, but it sounds like it might have been the longest part. Verse 12 says, the whole assembly became silent. That's an interesting part. Everybody actually listened, even if it challenged their identity as 
Christian Pharisees, whatever that is, uh, even if it challenged their identity as Christian Pharisees or as Jews, uh, they listened as Barnabas and Paul told them about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Barnabas and Paul told them about the signs and the wonders that God had done among the Gentiles. If you go back in Acts, you'll realize uh, that, that there's these miraculous healings. There's these escapes from prison where God obviously uh, is, is pulling um, people out to, uh, to bear witness to the good news of the gospel. Um, there's all kinds of encounters, uh, uh, spiritual encounters, uh, that are fantastic and remarkable that show that God is in this work among the Gentiles. And it takes, sometimes it takes a miracle for us to stay united when our identities are threatened. And, and Pastor Sean Marshall, uh, there was a, a pivotal point at midwinter, and I think Stephanie might have touched on it briefly, I forget. But some of you heard that uh, there's a midwinter conference of Covenant Church preachers. And uh, I think we have a link up somewhere to Sean Marshall's sermon. And he preached a sermon uh, that was, was calling uh, the covenant to be united, uh, to experience the blazing center of the Holy Spirit's work um, in a way that was going to transcend some of the realities that we're talking about, the political identities. I mean, that's, this is my interpretation. You should listen to him. But one of the, the, the central illustration he used was Elijah the prophet, when he had to confront the prophets of Baal, needed a miracle. And so he put on an altar with wood, he poured on water over it, and he asked God to come and consume it with fire, and God did. There are points when the pressures of idolatry, the pressures of our other identities that we're being called to, are so powerful that we need to witness the work of God in a way that's real and that's powerful. Pastor Marshall said, the church has been giving us out sparklers, right? And we need the fireworks. We need something big. And, And certainly we root in our Christian theology. And certainly we root in scripture But I believe that we're at a time where we need to see the powerful work of God. We need to be calling on God to do something that's indisputably God's work in our church and our lives. I wish we didn't need it. I wish we were stronger than that, right? But we need to see the real stuff of God. In order to be a united body in this time, I think we'll need a miracle. I don't know what that looks like. But, but I'm asking and I'm praying. And I'm wanting to be open to the ways that God actually works and touches and transforms lives and brings healing and deliverance and goodness. We need a miracle and we need to be praying for a miracle in our body. We need to be praying that our eyes would be opened. Maybe there's stuff going on that God's doing that we just haven't been paying attention to, right? We need, we need to be focused on the miracle of God's work if we're going to stay united in a time of division.
So after um, Barnabas and Paul tell about the miracle, and everybody listens, then there's still more that needs to be done. It's not just theology. It's not just even seeing a miracle. You'd think that would be pretty indisputable, right? We've seen the miracle, so it must be God, so we got to do it. But, but James comes around. He's this level-headed guy, James, the brother of Jesus. He was actually the high priest in Jerusalem. So this is the interesting overlap between the church of Jesus and the, the Jewish uh, practice at the time is that the high priest of the temple in Jerusalem was actually a Christian and the brother of Jesus. Just kind of a crazy, um, it's not what we normally think of. So there's this amazing overlap, and these identities are kind of getting staked out and are fluid. And, James, and so they come to James, and then James finally speaks up. And James is going to be the one that's going to root back into Scripture. He's kind of the holder of the ancient tradition. He's not going to be the one who's going to go for kind of um, new and radical ideas, most likely. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers and sisters, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words the prophets, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this I'll return, I'll rebuild David's fallen tent, I'll rebuild its ruins and restore it, that the rest of mankind may see the Lord, even the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord. James comes back and says, hey, look, the miracles are great, the theology is great, but it has to match with Scripture. If there's no scriptural basis for this story, we've got to rethink what we're trying to do. But he sees it in Scripture, even though there's a strong case, right, that, that the Gentiles should be circumcised, but, but James sees it in Scripture that the Gentiles are supposed to be included, And he says, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So this is not just uh, theology. This isn't just the witness of miracles. And it's not just experience of Scripture uh, and a deep rooting and re-rooting in Scripture when questions come up that threaten our identities. But it's also a move of compassion that I can imagine what it would be like to be a Gentile and to be asked to be circumcised because I believe in Jesus, right? That's, what James, that's basically what James is doing here. So I, I can imagine that. And, and God is for everybody, and it shouldn't be that hard. It can't be that hard. It's biblically rooted. It's compassionately focused. And it makes room for the Gentiles. Instead, we should write to them, James says, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat strangled by animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest of times, and it's read in the synagogue every Sabbath. So he's not saying it's free for all, that there's no ethics or there's no accommodation that we need to make for each other to live in community with each other. Um, But there's this compassionate rooting in Scripture. In order to be a united body, we're going to have to be 
rooted. Uh, we're going to have to remember that we're united as a family by the truth of the gospel. We've got to remember that we're united as family by the truth of the gospel this year. I mean, forever, but, also, but especially this year. We're going we're gonna to need a miracle. We're going to need to witness the real stuff of the real God. Our media culture, our pressures in our friendships and the places we work for, uh, our, our, the, the political sorting that's going on, is too powerful for us to have our main identity be in Christ unless we actually know that God's real and that God's doing something. We actually have firsthand experience of God's work. Otherwise, we're just going to be Democrats who go to Democrat church and Republicans who go to Republican church. Our main identities are going to be separate and then we'll tack on a little Jesus somewhere. But we're called for our main identities to be rooted in real experience with a real God. And there, there can be political identities that flow from that, right? I'm not saying that it's a completely separate thing. But that's what we're called to be. So we all need to remember that we're united as a family by the truth of the gospel. We're going to need a miracle. We're going to need to experience for real God's work. We're going to need to experience for real God's work. And in order to be united as a body, we're going to have to be rooted in Scripture and rerooting ourselves in Scripture like James did. And how it's going to happen is with an attitude of compassion, like James showed. I can imagine, I can imagine as we have this conversation that I'm passionate about your, and you're passionate about, that your identity is threatened by the conversation I'm trying to have, even about scripture, even about something else. I have compassion that it's going to be hard for you to go with me on this. Because it threatens your core identity, one of your core identities. But we can do it. We're going to have compassion. Uh, a great thing that we have in, I'm going to see how long I'm going to go here. I'm going to stop. Um, I'm going to stop soon. <laughs> when a preacher says they're going to stop, it's, you know, you got 10 minutes, don't worry. <laughs> You ever hear a preacher say, I'm about to finish and then not go 10 more minutes? Finally. No, it's not going to happen. So finally, um, we have a behavioral covenant as a church, and our mutual ministry team has worked really hard on this. Uh, and one of the, the central things, there's kind of like 10 things that I think reflect scripture and that help us to think through how we relate to each other. Uh, and I think they reflect what's going on in Acts here. Uh, so I'm just going to go through those. And this is our pledge. And so usually we get an opportunity like around the annual meeting of our church to, to reaffirm these or to even sign on. But I'd like us, maybe we can sign on in our hearts right now if you'll go with me on it. We seek to build each other up and not tear down. Yet we're being wired to tear each other down. We're being wired to fight till the death. I mean... I, I hear fight in, like, regular media, right? It's all about the fight of 2020. We're being wired to tear each other down. But here, and in God's community, we seek to build each other up. We respect and honor the office of pastor and other lay leaders. I put that in there just, no, I don't. <laughs> 
right? If we're, so like the church in Jerusalem, if they're going to have a conversation, there's got to be leadership. And, and I think a lot of us have actually been in leadership at various times or in different places, and we know like sometimes that can be really hard. It can be crushing. And you might have to make a decision that everybody doesn't know what comes to play in your decision because you're getting the backstory from like everybody. And you got to figure out, how am I going to lead and where are we going to try to go together? So it doesn't mean that whatever our leaders say, we never question. It's not unblinding loyalty. It never means, it doesn't mean we, we can't kick out our leaders when they're totally against the gospel and what God's saying. It never means there's no accountability. But it means we, or they preach too long. It means we respect, right? We respect, we respect the position that God's put them in. We seek to communicate clearly, completely, and directly. Uh, our conference superintendent just put out an article about, uh, anyone familiar with Dave Ramsey and like the debt snowball? And, and our superintendent put out an email and uh, an article about the conflict debt snowball. Sometimes we let a little conflict, we avoid it and avoid it, and we have all these conflicts that we never had the courage to face and it becomes this mountain of anxiety that we never get to, and then it seems too big to go. It seems too big to ever make progress on it. So, so he says, address that. When, we, you know, when you need to have a conflict, that's, that's going to happen. Communicate clearly, completely, and directly. We've we got to go through those. We offer our opinions with charity and humility. That implies that... Um, one thing I like about that is it implies that we have opinions. We're not always holding on to like the immortal truth of all time, right? That, that we have opinions and we realize that other people have opinions. And we can do that in humility, knowing that other people's opinions might be different than ours. We make positive investments in each other's lives. Man, I've received from this church so many positive investments in my life. And I know we do that for each other, and I want us to keep doing that. Uh, there's ways that, that those investments uh, store up that trust and that unity when times get hard. And that sometimes when times get hard, uh, the best things after sharing completely and directly and offering our opinion with charity is to just, even if it's not resolved, make a positive investment in each other's life. Right? We're going to pray for each other. We're going to like invite each other over to dinner. We're going to do something that's a positive investment in each other's lives. We believe the best in each other and give each other the benefit of the doubt. That's a good one. Yeah, we're being wired to believe the worst in, a, in each other, right? As soon as somebody says this word, it means they're this identity, and it's against me, and it's a threat, and I'm not going to belong anymore uh, if this is the theme we're talking about. But we believe the best in each other. We're looking to discover what's best for the church as a whole, not what may be best for us or some small group in the church. I like the word discover in that. There's something that's the best for the church that's yet to come. Sometimes we come in thinking, oh, I already know what's best for the church, right? Now let's discover it together. We accept disagreement, conflict, and evaluation as normal and natural. That's a hard one. It's easy for us to think, as soon as there's conflict, ah, something must be broken in this church. 
oh, this church is going through conflict. We're going through a really hard time at my church. I can't believe it. We're supposed to be believers, but we disagree. How could this ever happen? It's always been that way. I'd say on on this side of Jesus' coming, uh, that's how the church gets built up. It's through iron sharpening iron, as the Old Testament says. It's through how our conversations uh, elevate the work of the Spirit, root us in the truths of Scripture. We're committed to being inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel, which means that this is going to be hard. That it might be harder to be part of the church And specifically, it might be harder to be part of a particular church with particular people, with particular folks, than it would be to bug out and say, hey, it's more convenient for me to just believe what I want to believe over here rather than come on to people that challenge my identity, right? Or my identities. But we're committed to being inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. And the gospel is good. The gospel is good news. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to redeem the whole world, uh, to create a community in the church that reflects goodness and shalom. Uh, And to see that come to reign in the entire cosmos, the kingdom of God. That Christ's kingship and lordship will rule in our world once and for all. And I believe that we can see these things happen in our church, and we're seeing it. And I just want to encourage us, church. I love you. Man, I love you, and I need all of you. We need each other, and we need to love all of us, honor all of us. And I think when we do that, we're going to see miracles happen of God's kingdom, of God's grace and truth in the coming year. Let's pray, and I'll have the worship team come up.